This is Take a Cue, Episode 9. Welcome to Take a Cue. I'm Jen Wise, fourth and fifth grade instrumental music teacher. And I'm Eric Dunno, eighth grade band and jazz band director. We're two veteran educators with over 35 years of experience teaching music in New Jersey public schools between the two of us. And we're excited to bring teaching experiences and insights to you. So excited. Whether you're just starting out in your teaching career or you've been teaching longer than we have, this show will help you grow with new ideas and perspectives about music education and teaching. We hope you'll be just as inspired as we are every time you listen. Before we begin, if you enjoy our podcast, please help us out by doing a few super easy things. First, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then make sure you rate the podcast and leave a review. It helps people find our show who haven't yet, and we really appreciate it. If you find that you get a lot out of our episodes, we'd be grateful if you considered becoming a monthly supporter to help us grow the podcast. You can sign up to make a secure monthly payment using the link in our show notes or on our Anchor site, anchor.fm slash take a cue. That's all one word. Also, if you have questions or comments about anything you hear on the episode, come and interact with us on social media. We are Take a Cue Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hey, Eric, how are you? Jen, I'm doing great. If I was any better, I would be over the moon. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Said with zero sarcasm Uh and and total total happiness. Okay. How's everything with you? I think... I guess I believe it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, things are pretty good here. We're, we're getting excited for Thanksgiving and, yes. uh, you know, at least the days off. Goodness. I'm hosting. So, oh Lucky yeah. Lucky you. Yeah. It'll be fun. My mom and I like trade off every other year. So this is, this is our year to do the bird and yeah, that's pretty good. How about you guys? Well, uh, Cindy's sister and her family are coming out from California uh, for Thanksgiving for like 10 days. So Uh we definitely do not have the space to host her family, our family, and then like extended family. So that usually goes to my wife's father and his wife. They host, um, a huge Thanksgiving. I had started dating Cindy in 2009 Uh and, like Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving with the family, it was like 27 people were there. Oh my goodness. Hey, at least you're off the hook for remembering everyone's name when it's that big though. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it was definitely, they kind of do a big, a big Thanksgiving every year. So it's, it's fun. It's really that's a good. lot of fun. She has a great family. We're really lucky that we like each other's families. So that's oh, a good thing. That, that helps. Let's get to the good <laughs> stuff. Signature family recipes. Yeah. Uh, Which one? Oh, for Anything? me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh I love to bake a blueberry pie. That's okay. like one of my favorite Thanksgiving things to make. Oh, what that about sounds you? delicious. My mom's stuffing, we lovingly call it the brick. Um and it <laughs> <laughs> it has apricots so, <laughs> lovingly. <laughs> we lovingly call it the brick. Uh it has apricots soaked in Grand Marinier and almonds and all oh yeah, it's delicious. And the whole house smells like just goodness. So, yeah. So, were you going to have a take a cue Thanksgiving where I get to try this? Oh, that would be cool. I'll I'll save you some some leftovers. How's that? Absolutely. And I will save you a slice of pie if I end up making it. Okay. Yes. Let's do it. So this Freestyle Friday is pretty special because we have we have a, a, a new guest, new to our listeners, not new to us, because she's one of Eric's former students. And we want to welcome CJ Margolis to our show tonight. Welcome, CJ. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. We're really happy to have CJ with us. And it's a treat because CJ was my first eighth grade class at Heritage. And she has gone on to become a music major at TCNJ, the College of New Jersey here in New Jersey. So we thought it would be really cool every few months to kind of check in with somebody on the other end of the teaching spectrum. You know, Jen and I have been doing this for, gosh, a long time. And, uh, and, And we thought it would be really cool for our listeners and for us to kind of check in with CJ and see how she's doing as the program progresses. So how's everything going? 
everything is going crazy, crazy in the best way. But there's there's definitely lots going on this time of year, especially for sophomore music ed majors is kind of the heaviest of heavies um, for us. But lots of good things going on. Uh, this coming Saturday, we have our jazz band concert coming up, uh, which will be really cool. It's going to be my first time playing on tenor at a TCNJ ensemble. So that'll be cool. Um, we've got a lot of funky rough going on in wind ensemble. I just came from rehearsal and it's lots of jazz stuff. So all in good taste. Um, but it's, it's going well. I really like college and being a music major. So, so you're doing your jazz ensemble and wind ensemble right now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm doing a bunch of ensembles this semester. <laughs> nice. Right on. Well, hey, you got to play as much as you can, right? That's true. That's true. Right on. So uh, we thought, you know, as Jen and I are going to do, you know, our check in with each other, we thought we'd kind of hear about how CJ's things are going. But before we do that, could you just give our listeners a little background as to who you are, how you got involved in music, what made you decide you wanted to go into music ed? Let's hear about who CJ is. My musical story is a little bit of a windy one. Um, I was actually listening back to a couple of the Take a Cue episodes from before, and my beginning story is pretty similar to yours, Mr. D. Um, I started playing guitar when I was six because my older cousin, Rebecca, who I thought was the coolest person in the world, decided that she wanted to play the guitar. So obviously I asked to play guitar and I did. I started taking lessons and stuff. And then about a month later, my cousin stopped playing the guitar, but I kept playing the guitar. So that was my beginning. Um, And once I got to fourth grade, I started on the oboe because I figured that it was the weirdest of all of the instruments to choose from. And the first time that I played my reed outside as practice, there were actual turkeys that, that flocked to my house. So I figured that I was starting <laughs> off on a good fit wow. <laughs> there. Um, so I played oboe all the way up until high school, and I was also in choirs and stuff like that. And then I picked up saxophone for marching band in high school. Um, and then once freshman year hit, I realized that I wasn't all that good at the oboe. So I should probably choose a different path. Um, so I oh stop it! Up. I heard you play oboe. I give yourself a little credit. Honestly, I don't even remember playing the oboe at this point. Um, so I picked up the bassoon my freshman year, and I rode with that. And then, at the point that I decided that I wanted to go into music education, I was trying to remember because I was like, I feel like there's no specific point where I actually thought about it. And then I realized yesterday that there was. Um, and you were you were there, Mr. G. It was the first jazz competition that we went to my freshman year. We had a conversation in the audience about why you like teaching elementary students and stuff. And what you said to me was that when you teach elementary students, you give them everything that they know over the span of like a year. And at that point, I hadn't really known what I wanted to do. I was like, maybe I'll teach English. Maybe I'll teach like sociology or something. And then when you said that, I was like, well, obviously I want to teach kids music because I love music and I want to teach kids to love music. So on the car, like the bus ride home, I was like, I literally, I cried. I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm meant to do. So I got home, I wrote it down in my journal and that's how I got onto this track. So since college, I've picked up the tenor saxophone, the clarinet, the flute, the piano, and the ukulele, and a little bit of percussion. Well, the ukulele. The ukulele has been <laughs> has been part of the story, but you know. One of these things is not <laughs> like the other. Yeah. That one was by necessity. But with those instruments, I've been in TCNJ Wind Ensemble and Concert Band. I'm currently in a woodwind quintet, which is pretty cool. It's definitely a different challenge. Um, I'm in the Lions Bassoon Ensemble. TCNJ right now has a bassoon studio of about 13 people. So we're, we're flying high uh, wow. this year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm in great. the jazz band. I'm also one of the assistant music directors of the Troublemakers, which is an all-female acapella group on campus here. And I also lead a combo jazz band called CJ and the Cats. We get around New Brunswick and stuff. So lots of things going on in the CJ realm, but that's that's kind of an overview of my musical story as of now. That's fantastic. Wow, I'm so <laughs> glad you're getting such uh, a lot of chances to play. Yeah. yeah, me too. Lots and lots of chances to play. And I love your story about how it came to you that you wanted to teach. Cause I was, I, I felt the same way when I was starting out, like, Oh, like 
want to teach? What am I going to teach? Music would be great. <laughs> and you just, it just kind of like clicks one day. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I got to do this and I got to audition. I got to make it happen, you know? So thanks for sharing that. You know, it's funny, CJ, you mentioned that story and I, I knew that story. Um, you, had, you had mentioned it to me a little while ago and it's it certainly touching to me. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I remember when I was in sixth grade going up to Heritage because Heritage was six through eight at that point, not seven, eight. And I remember getting to Heritage and Mr. Traglia was my band director and coincidentally the person who I replaced when he retired. And I remember getting there and thinking, oh, wow. I might like to be a band director. So yeah, it's something about that like middle school time frame. And and for some people it's later, some people it's earlier, but yeah, it's cool having friends that have gone into the music education field since they're graduating and me still being here because they all get to apply and choose whether they want to work with elementary, middle and stuff. And one of my close friends says he really wants to work with middle because that's like the fork in the road. And it's hmm. true. I mean, when I was in seventh grade, I was almost ready to quit band. Um, I just wasn't feeling it yet. And then I stepped into your class and it totally turned things around. So being music, being in music in middle school is definitely quite the influential position. Oh, well, that's, that's very kind of you. CJ is, an, is a tremendous musician and a tremendous uh, hard worker too. So that probably had a little bit to do with it. And you had a really great group. You know, I still remember that group is definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Good vibe going on in that group. So how did you end up at TCNJ? Like, we know it's a great school, like us here in New Jersey, and that there's a really, really vibrant music department there. But how did how did you get there? Yeah, so my application process was kind of a funny one because my, my junior, senior year was COVID era. So all of my auditions were virtual, um, either on Zoom or via recording. Um, so I ended up applying to eight schools. I get the top three were like TCNJ, UMass, Ithaca, Rutgers, that sort of thing. I was lucky enough because I played bassoon to have gotten into all of them. So at the end of the day, um, after I, like my audition process was a lot of recording and a lot of interviews and we did a lot of, um, music theory exams and stuff like that via, via the computer and stuff. But at the end of the day, it just came down to like, who did I vibe the best with? Because when you're applying for music, it's not just applying for a program. It's also applying to study with a specific person and, and study with specific directors and stuff. So from that standpoint, the interviews were really two sided because I was, I was trying to audition them just as much as they were auditioning me. So what I felt at TCNJ, TCNJ, I was actually lucky enough to play here with the wind ensemble before COVID hit. So I got to meet a lot of the people in person and feel what it was like to be a part of the department and be in the band and stuff. And the thing that stuck out to me most about here was that the second I stepped on the stage, I could tell that everyone was a family. Hmm. Everyone here is very friendly with each other, especially because of the nature of a small department. So everyone knows each other. If you walk down the hallway, everyone will know your name, even if you're not in the department. My professors follow me on Instagram. So we're all really tight here. I think that I could immediately feel that when I was thinking about my decision. So from my standpoint, deciding on TCNJ was kind of a gut feeling, especially because I had a lot of a lot of debate about I got into Ithaca because I really wanted to go to Ithaca from what I had heard from Mr. D and Mr. Hedgetis about their experiences there. But from a monetary standpoint and also from a professionalism standpoint, TCNJ made more sense for who I am as a musician. And here they also focus a lot on the meaning behind music, not just the music that you're playing. And that's something that I've always cared a lot about is like, we're making music to make music together and to um, promote and, and understand and connect on deeper ideals. So that was something that really drew me in. All of those combined, as well as the fact that they're known for their music education program, I was like, this is the place to be. And also, yeah. I'm only an hour away from from Bagels for You back in Livingston. So, <laughs> that is that is there one of the go. best bagel places. <laughs> it is no so question. good. It is so so good. Yeah. So, I want to go back to your comment about sitting in on a rehearsal. Was that during the um, application process, or were you there for some other reason? Yeah. So, I it was like prior to application. It was like when I was deciding. Um, I so we actually do a lot of music major for a day stuff here. I happen to not come on one of those days. I just came on a random day to come and meet the professor and take a lesson. But he was like, since you're here, I'm sitting in with a wind ensemble. Do you want to play with me? Um, and I think that was one of the most formative experiences I've had as a musician, as an applicant, 
because it was the first time I really experienced like what it felt like to understand what music means. And like when I was sitting on that stage, I was like, this is this is what I'm meant to be doing. Just being so connected with people through the music and like feeling like you're really communicating um, on a deeper level. That was it was prior. It was February of 2020. So I didn't start applying until like a little later that year. Jen, when you were auditioning for college, did you like take lessons with professors before you started applying to those places? Uh, I did with a couple. Yeah, Um, I did with um, Bart Feller at uh, Rutgers um, because he uh, had worked with my private teacher. So I took a lesson with him at his uh, apartment in the city at one point and then some of the auditions were set up like as a lesson. I don't know if you had this experience too, but like when I auditioned at Rowan and Penn state and even a little bit Westchester, um, it wasn't like a panel. It was more like one-on-one with the teacher and you had like a chunk of time to play and talk. And, and I felt like I got a really good feeling for the teachers that way. But yeah, I had only done a couple lessons. Uh, I did not sit in with any of the ensembles, though. But I totally get what you're saying about like walking in and just kind of vibing with the people, you know, around you. Like that's how I ended up at UConn. Because I was just uh, really impressed with everybody that like walked me around for the day and showed me around, you know, on, on audition day. And I didn't vibe with my teacher that well. And I we didn't have a great studio relationship for all four years like we came around we figured we figured out what you know we were each there for and and we got there but um that was one of those auditions that was like a panel and no (laughs) you know back and forth and it turned out yeah I didn't have a, a, a great studio experience and even if she's you know listening my my you know professor from from UConn she would definitely agree because we ended up you know having to sit down and talking like just talk through it you know so again like some of the people I sat next to in ensembles um well I married one of them so (laughs) here we are (laughs) you know uh it's just yeah I I I totally totally get that as a flute player I got waitlisted at most of the schools for the flute studio that I you know applied I got into all the universities but you end up sitting on a wait list for the flute studio for a while uh, if you're not one of those top, top players. And, you know, I just, I well, just even if you are, so. I mean, flute is ridiculously competitive. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That it happened. Let's see. Ithaca, Penn State, Rutgers, like all three of those, I you know, got to the university, but not the, not the flute studio and even uh, UConn. So I was waitlisted at the flute studio and finally got off, but uh, I had already had my housing deposit in at Westchester um, <laughs> before I got off the flute uh, studio waitlist, and uh, you know I would have been very happy at at Westchester, but I really, like you said, felt the the good vibes at UConn. So that's how I I landed there. How about you, Eric? Did you get to do any of that as you were auditioning? You know, it's funny. The two of you seem to have a similar audition experience. That sort of like kind of relaxed family. Let's like let's take a lesson together. I did not have any of that at any of the schools that I applied at. I felt mm-hmm. the very opposite. It was very much like a "We're up here. You want to get in? Prove it to us." You mm-hmm. know, kind of thing. And uh, it was definitely much more like performing. Maybe for a panel of like couple teachers. Yeah, I did not have that experience really at any of the the colleges that I applied to. I do remember going to a couple of the colleges and after auditioning, and I, and I had very nice conversations with the professors. Like nobody was unprofessional or or mean or anything like that. But I remember walking around a couple of the colleges and sort of seeing what like what their bands were playing. And I remember thinking about a couple of them like. I feel like we played this in high school. And I was like, I don't know. Maybe maybe I want to like find someplace that's a little bit more kind of going a little bit beyond that. And and it might have just been, you know, a campus band. I, I applied to mostly small schools. Ithaca was one of the largest out of the schools that I applied to and was accepted to those programs. But for me, it was it, it became like, okay, I want to become a music teacher. And at the time, like I really liked the campus at Ithaca and I really liked the sax professor. I decided eventually on Ithaca because I knew the sax professor would kick my butt and I needed somebody who was really going to hold my feet to the fire. And I definitely got that vibe from Steve Mock. And, you know, throughout our time there, he was outstanding and I learned so much and I would certainly call our relationship friendly, but collegial at the same time. It was definitely a different, different kind of vibe, but I did get that sort of family feeling from some of the other groups that I played with 
there. But yeah, it was definitely sounds a little different from what you two uh, ended up going through. But that's okay. Everybody has their own kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And you, you're going to walk away with a perspective of what you do in the world, like professionally, um, like CJ was saying, from, from really a lot from where you went to university. And like I started with 40 other music education majors and graduated with 12. Um, wow. It was it was a very competitive but tight knit and rigorous and yeah it's just you never know when you walk in who you're going to walk out with at the end but yeah you're you're learning from everybody around you. So Jen, how's everything going at school? At last time we were chatting, oh gosh, that was like a month ago. Yeah, that was a, maybe probably more than a month ago. So things have probably progressed quite a bit. They have. They know their first three notes really, really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we're 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 moving beyond. We have five notes now in beginning band world. And my fifth graders, I have filled their folder. So my goal is to always like for our concert at the end of January is to fill their folder by the end of November. Like by Thanksgiving, everything that I want them to perform in January, I really want it in their folder. So they have all that time to chew on it and perfect it. And of course, we're working on book stuff simultaneously. Of course, we're working on new skills alongside that. But I don't want there to be any anxiety around performance. This isn't the time. Fifth grade is not the time to <laughs> to have, you know, any anxiety about what they're going to put on stage. So I, I make sure it's all in their folder by then. And we know, you know, exactly what we're playing. We have our warmups that we're going to do on stage. We have our warmups that we use for skill building, but we have like our warmups that we do in front of people. So that's, I, I yeah, we've been filling the folder the last week or two. So yeah, it is a little like anxiety inducing for some of them because they see a stack of music all of a sudden <laughs> when in September we had one piece in their folder. We talked about that a little while ago, but now, yeah, they're, they're staring down the barrel of, you know, a stack of music and we're, we're really digging in. Getting ready for that, that first winter concert. That first winter concert. And right around now, those pieces we got in September, we're making sure that the second half is really good. Because I nice. think I think we can all, you know, relate to some of our beginning students. Like the first few measures sound like rock solid. And then you get like halfway through and it's just like, you know, so <laughs> I set some things on smart music. Like you can assign partial like parts of a piece. So I started assigning like fire's edge second half. So they're they're only responsible yeah. for submitting like measures 30 to 52. They're they're really starting to dig into the second half of some of their pieces. So I definitely get that. And some of my some of my my charts that we're working on kind of work the same way. You know, the beginning mm -hmm. sounds really good. So I have to like force myself. I don't know if this comes naturally to you, mm -hmm. but it doesn't to me. I have to like yeah. force myself to chunk backwards. Oh, yeah, you know totally. I mean? Like yep, we'll we start at it. the last rehearsal letter and work the ending a whole bunch. And then we'll like yeah. go one rehearsal letter before that or one rehearsal number before that. Like for some people, it must be like just natural. Mm -hmm. But for me, I kind of have to be like, all right, where did we start last time? Oh, we started yeah. on the beginning for the fifth time. Okay, now we oh, got to yeah. start somewhere at the end. Yeah, I don't know what your day-to-day -day lesson planning looks like. I do the, the post-it thing where I'll put a big, bright, hot pink post-it like right in the middle of the beginning of the piece so I remember not to rehearse that <laughs> and yeah. I put the letter number where I want to start right there and then I turn the couple pages in the score I'm like oh yeah okay so we're starting here and then you have to repeat that direction about eight times because without fail somebody will start at the beginning and then oh, you yes, have to always. stop them and then you have to start again CJ have you had any similar situations in your like we're now looking at we're going to switch to the other end of the spectrum so we have yeah. the beginners and now what about college like have you had any pieces where you're like oh my gosh we sound really great at the beginning but boy that ending is rough most of our pieces especially this semester they all start off very very reserved and then by the end it's just like mass chaos it's chaos so honestly sometimes we'll go to play the beginning of the piece and i'm like i have not seen this in three weeks <laughs> because mm. we spend so much time in the back half yeah, so we, we do a lot of like focus work on this stuff because it gets crazy towards the end. So then we save the beginning as our treat, the treat for later. I like that. I, I got to take, take notes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. What's, uh, what's your favorite piece you're working on in uh, Wind Ensemble? 
Ooh, we're playing this piece called Riffs um, by Tyzik. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. We get to play like, like in our part, the bassoons have a heavy swung feature. And it's just like us going like, boo ba doo It's very cool. Swing bassoon. Yeah, yeah. When you've got four of them in the ensemble plus a contra, it's, you got to take advantage of it. So mm. <laughs> yeah, so that one is really fun. That sounds just as exciting as the Michael Sweeney I've been working on with my beginners. <laughs> you got your four bassoons and contra as well. Yes, yes. Just plenty of firewood right there in the third row. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Eric, what are you up to? What, what do you guys have been, been working on? Well, I've been really excited with the group because like in the last, I don't know, two or three weeks, I feel like they've started to have a sound like maybe an eighth grade band. I told them this the other day and they were like, we are an eighth grade band. I'm like, well, yeah, your age is eighth grade, but you don't sound like an eighth grade band yet. They kind of sound like a, you know, an older seventh grade band, but they finally started to maybe balance a little better to the lows and the saxophones are like supporting their reeds a little better. So they're not playing like 25 cents flat and the clarinets have, you know, we've gone over, how do you actually put the ligature so that, you know, you get an right sound. Cause again, we talked about this. Every band director they've had says the same thing to them every year. Here's where your ligature goes. Here's mm-hmm. how you put your read on. This is the strength read you need. No, you can't use a read that's missing five chunks. But for some <laughs> reason, every year they still use the same darned chunky read and mm-hmm. they put their ligature up far too uh, much, just this, just this stuff. So we finally have things like where they should be. So every Wednesday we do breathing gym work. Mm. And uh, I don't know, do you know the breathing gym? Yes. This is starting to ring a bell now that you're talking about it. So the breathing gym is all about like how to breathe correctly, but and musically, but also do it in like a physical full body way. And so every Wednesday we get up and we breathe, we do our flow exercises, which is where you take an eight count breath in with your arms going up over your head. You, I don't know. And nobody's going to see this video. So I'm going to stop. Then you just, you know, eight counts out. We definitely did some with the marching band when you were there, CJ, yeah. I think. Yeah, definitely. We're doing a lot of that. And I feel like it's all started to really come together the last couple of weeks in terms of the sound. I don't know if I said this last time, but we decided to take the third movement of the William Owens Tudor sketches out for now hmm. because I think it's just too much. I think I overprogrammed a little bit. You got to make those changes every once in a while. I gave it a piece to my orchestra in the last week. It's called Yes, We Can Can. There are exclamation mm-hmm. points in there. And they're like, wait it doesn't end here. They flipped it over. They're like, Oh my gosh, it's two full pages. They had a cow. So I mean, it's not 30 uh, seconds long. Oh man. Oh no, it's not two lines for the book. So I reassured them that we may be cutting out, you know, 20 measures or so on the second page. Cause there's only so many times you can, so there's only so many times you can hear it as great as the arrangement is. So, so yes, but I, yeah, I get it. You got to make those changes when you, when you need to Eric, it's budget season. Have you put in for anything new and exciting for next year? Oh, you know I have. Okay, tell us about it. Anytime our supervisor sends out the, hey, if you have any big budget items, let let us know in the next four days. Every time I get that email, I keep the spreadsheet handy all year. And I keep it up to date all year with prices, what we need, Brendan and I and Karen, and to some extent, Kristen and I, but she doesn't have like, you know, huge instruments to buy. But uh, Brendan, Karen and I, we keep a spreadsheet up to date. So the moment she sends that out, we send the spreadsheet back and say, here's our $40,000 wish list. There you go. You just chip away at it. But you know what? It's worked. And we could probably do a whole like show on just like how to request instruments when you don't have a huge, huge budget. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our budget at Heritage for the seventh and eighth grade Band course orchestra general music supplies budget is I want to say it's four grand. Um, so you know how much does a tuba cost? Well, thirty two hundred bucks. How much does right. a Barry Sax cost? Five thousand dollars. So like you know there are certain instruments that even if we use the entire supply budget on, we wouldn't be able to buy them. Right. Um, so uh, so you know we've really worked hard and and I mean I can't say enough about our administrators, our music administrator for the district and then our principal who really goes to bat for us for beefing up the program and in terms of our our inventory. But you you know I've talked to you about some instruments that have sort of shown up after the summers, but every year it seems like we get a few items off that list and it's really going well. How about you? What'd you put in for? I have a confession for everybody. 
I haven't shared this yet, but you all need to know at one of my elementary schools, I have a former band director principal. I know. I know. (laughs) I'm so lucky. Um, And uh, working with him is amazing. However, he came to me on Wednesday at 310, right when all this budget stuff was due, to say, hey, we need this. Can you make this happen? Blame me. I'm sorry it's late. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk. And I'm like, I know. I know. Okay, we'll get it in there. He's really got uh, his finger on the pulse of what we need. So when, when we put stuff in it, you know, he understands the need and it, and it, and it happens. And that's, that's amazing. So we're, we're looking at getting a keyboard that we can use for indoor and outdoor performances. That's just an electric keyboard with weighted keys. Cause we don't have one in the building and we have a, an acoustic piano that's on its, on its way out. And I, I'm always so torn to step away from like the acoustic instruments, but this one's been pretty, you know, tough to maintain in the last couple of years. And so that's, that's kind of what we're looking at something, you know, that when we are looking at doing performances outside, we have, we have something that's substantial enough that we can use the, for the chorus and, and everything. The orchestra's exploded. So I threw a couple of violas and a cello on there too. <laughs> so yeah. Nice. I don't think yeah. there's anything wrong with switching to a digital piano, especially if it's a good quality instrument because i mean we all love acoustic instruments you know we all play mm-hmm. acoustic instruments but when it comes to maintaining them and tuning them and having to get them tuned multiple times in the year right that's a lot that's a yeah. lot yeah and it's we're not looking at like a little casio keyboard we're looking at something yeah. that you know make the accompanist happy and and that's yeah that's good for the kids so that's that's on our list for for this year so is it like weird having non-musical people dictating like what you get towards your musical program considering Mm. that they might not necessarily know as much about the decisions they're making as you might well that's a great question that is a good question having both right like be having administrators that are like non-music people never touched an instrument before and then one that's been a former band director (laughs) i have to say the ones that are really good listeners are going to help you, you know, fund what you need. And the ones that like look at the big picture of what your program really does for their building, they take the time to understand why you need what you need. And then there are some principals and administrators out there that will tell you, and this was in my first job, that like, we need to think more like entrepreneurs. We don't have the money for you. We don't have the money for anybody. So how can we support your fundraising? <laughs> you know, like, and, and and that's that's a good conversation to have too. Most administrators aren't going to say like, I don't understand what you have. They're going to say, tell me more about what you need. They're going to perpetuate the conversation because they, they really do want to, you know, serve the kids and that's why they're where they are. Sure. But yeah. And it is, I, I think you're right. I think it is about educating your administrator if they ask, I'm really fortunate that the administrator in my building, cause I, I think we mentioned this way back that like Livingston does their budgeting in a different way than a lot of other districts in that every principal sort of has their own music line item instead of just a district music budget. So it really does fall on the building principles to go to bat for you. I mean, now our our supervisor works in tandem with them to say, hey, here's what the music staff is saying that they need. And we really kind of work on this. So it's great to have that person in your corner. But if you don't, it really is a lot about education and making mm-hmm. them understand why it's important and why you can't have a 60-year-old baritone that you know is really not serving the needs of the students, especially when they say, well, only one kid uses that baritone. Yeah, I'm going to buy textbooks that dozens of students are going to use. And why, why am I going to spend $2,500 on this baritone that only one student's going to use at a time mm-hmm. at least? Yeah. Um, the nice thing is, is that my current administrator has never said that to me. Yeah. He totally gets it. I, I have been there like when I've had to go to say like the PTO to ask for a new tuba because we had three kids that were interested interested and one that was too small and barely worked <laughs> one one yeah. you know instrument and the principal suggested I go to the PTO and they said this serves one student we're here for yep. everybody and I'm like yeah but I have 70% of the school go through my band you're really serving 70% of the sixth grade because um you know, this student's going to have this. And it's, you know, it's not just the one kid who plays it. It's the Mm -hmm. 50 other kids in the ensemble who are going to benefit from having that instrument there. But it's hard for somebody who maybe isn't a music person, Mm -hmm. um, teacher or musician to sort of understand that. So patience. 
patience. Yeah. Patience, yeah. So kind of off of that, so when you do have such a limited like budget or a limited resources to work with, how do you decide which battles to pick and like which mm. which instruments you want or what you feel would benefit your program most, especially when it's something new that you might not have used in the past? Man, you're coming up with great questions tonight. I gotta I think know. about that one. <laughs> I kind of look at the like the student population and where we're going and you know what's coming up in the next like year or so. And this year at Harrison School I prioritized new trombone cases over uh, having like a crash cymbal cradle that'll hold like the crash cymbals up so we don't have to put them flat on the stage floor where we're doing our concerts, you know? So, and I did that because my trombone players needed some love. They're already playing on 30 year old instruments. Like the cases are, were falling apart and starting to kill the instrument. So like, you know, it was either like get those things or get again, the crash cradle that would have been really nice. and would have saved my cymbal player a lot of, like grief but that's kind of like how I prioritize it because I look I look forward I'm like okay that case is probably going to last a good 10 years if I can if I can get it the crash cradle will last way longer but it won't serve as many kids and eh, percussionists they're always there they're always willing to try you know beginning trombonists are special and they need our love and attention (laughs) so (laughs) I don't know uh, you know, aside from aside from what's going on in the classroom and all that, we did our first playing assessment. It's actually in the middle of our second playing assessment right now. And, you know, it maybe this would be a great topic, I think, to expand on maybe in the future. But I kind of stopped doing practice logs a while ago. I know some people still do them. Do you do them, Jen? No, I'm not a practice log person. Do they suggest it at, at like your music ed program, CJ? Or have you not gotten that far yet? Where I am and in the classes I've had, no one has yet to mention that. Got it. I'll be curious to see what their thoughts are on it. You know, when I started teaching, I did did practice logs where each kid took home a quarter sheet of paper, half sheet of paper every day, every week. They had all the days. It had their assignment listed on it. And then they had to write the minutes that they practiced. And then they had to get their parent to initial every week and then sign the bottom. And you know what I found out? I found out that my kids' signatures look a lot like their parents' signatures. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So I don't know. I kind of just, I kind of stopped doing practice logs because I felt like it just was encouraging them to not be so truthful. I used to do something like that, but in small chunks of the year, Mm. this was one of those like middle of the night, wake up and like think this is the best idea ever. And I did it for a while because the kids really enjoyed it. I called it the practice-a-thon. And for like the month of December leading up to our our concert, they would log their practice time. And if they logged a certain number of minutes, they got to come to a special lunch party with mrs wise and they had a sponsor and they had like oh we like i really really played it up so yeah they would practice like three times a week for 20 minutes at a clip or something to to get to the party like in that first and do you find that they were they were honest about how much they practiced I had a few parents email me or give me a call like towards the end and say like listen i know we didn't get to the goal but my kids said they're going to try and we're withholding our reward at home until they get all their practice Whoa. sessions. Yeah. Wow. So you got the opposite. You got really the support at home. I got a lot of support at home. Parents were, were all about it. And they were like, you know, can my 18 year old who is in band uh, is home when my son practices? Can she be the sponsor? Because, you know, she's home and she helps him with practicing because she was in band. I'm like, sure. That person could be the sponsor. Like they were very into it. You know, it was like they got really amped about it because, but it was only, it was for a month at a time. So I think most people were honest. I think most people, because they got better. So I had one parent come in actually for a conference with me and Mm -hmm. say, just flat out, I don't think my kid should have to practice. So I just signed the lists. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks so for sharing. that was kind of, that kind of was the <laughs> impetus for me to go, maybe this isn't the best option. So anyway, so we now we do in-person playing assessments and CJ knows because we did them back when you when I had you in eighth grade. You know, we do a couple every marking period and it's either out of the book or it's scale test or it's a part of the band music. It's a really great way to get kids to practice if they care about their grade to just be like, hey, you're going to get tested on a part of this piece and you don't know what part it is. So go practice and I'll see you in two weeks. And a lot of the kids practice. I just remembered I got massive flashbacks from elementary school because I was trying to think if I've ever done practice logs for school. And, you know, like in the beginning of the standard of excellence, there's like the little log and it's like a little little sheet or whatever. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I remember I probably did like five of them for real, but I think my parents were just as happy I wasn't practicing as I was because an elementary oboist is definitely something to be toyed with. But that's I think good. that's the only the only time that I've ever I was ever actually asked to do practice yep. log was those little ones that was like just five minutes or whatever yep. and a signature. Uh, so what else? What's going on? Uh, oh, band day. But Jen, band oh, day is quick band approaching. Day. District Band Day. Yay. Woo. I love Band Day. Uh, Eric is hosting us for District Band Day. This I love year. it. It's really a fun day. We bring all the elementary band students from fifth grade from all six elementary schools together and they get a 20 minute clinic with the sixth grade band director with Eric and with Brendan, our seventh grade band director. And it is so cool. They get to hear the high school wind Mm -hmm. ensemble perform for them. And it's just like a big day of rah, rah, rah. Band is awesome. Yeah. It's really, really fun. My kids always come back like super amped and asking about jazz band and asking about, you know, like the next thing. And this is the part that I love. They don't really know like what a a big moment it is for them until they're like there until they come home and they're like, whoa. And they see the entire 500 seat auditorium full of kids just like them that love band. Or at least yep. do band. Um, <laughs> I think I think they do. Yeah, that's coming up. And the logistics have been, you know, what they always are. It's something to get everybody there. And Eric's on top of it. He, you know, worked out the schedule and where we're all going to play. Um, and yeah, it's that's going to be so cool. I, I know it's a huge, it's a huge undertaking. It takes a lot of time, but it is so beneficial for the kids to see other kids and to be around other kids and to have the little, you know, the big kid sitting next to the little kid and go, ah, Hey, you're, you're sounding pretty good on those G's. All right, right on. You know, that's a huge, huge deal to a fifth grader. I know it's a lot of, it's a lot of time and a lot of effort, but I always push to do this, especially in in person. I know you do too, Jen, especially after COVID where we didn't get to do it in person for a few years. I was really Mm -hmm. Really yeah. happy to find out that we were doing it in person again this year. Yeah, it's coming up at the end of the month. We'll let you all know how it oh, went. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's going to be so oh, good. Yeah. I still remember all of my band days and choir days and all township concerts and stuff. I always thought those were the coolest and the most fun because I, I like, I think we were reading some, we were some reading some pretty simple piece when I was in elementary school and the high schoolers came and sat in and read it with us. And I was like, how did they learn it so fast? <laughs> but yep. um, those those moments were the ones that, that really stick with you. So the work is not being nice. And then now, did you come back when you were in high school? And um, yeah, you definitely did. I know we didn't do the band days like this, right? Or did we? They, they were pretty similar that I, I distinctly remember them coming back. I, I specifically remember the choir one and leading a bunch of elementary schools and stuff, but we did it for band too, I think. The funniest was doing it on bassoon because most of them, I mean, I didn't know what a bassoon was until <laughs> high school. So a lot of them come in and they're like, what is that? And you're like, this is a bassoon. And they're like, it looks like an oboe, but a lot taller. I'm like, yeah. But th- those are always the fun ones when, when you get to explain like what you're doing. Yeah. And who knows? Maybe that was like one of those moments that started making your brain go, hmm, I kind of like working with kids and seeing them get excited about something they don't know yet. I don't know. For sure. When they come in there and and you realize that there's something that you can show them that could maybe make them appreciate music even more. I just get so excited. I'm like, I want to tell them everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I have to tell you, what I've been up to with my flutes. Oh, oh yes. Um, oh yeah. I saw the note. All right. Yeah. Flutes. You know, it says just, <laughs> okay. just, um, you know, so, pulling back the, the, the curtain for our listeners here, even though we call it freestyle Friday, we actually have had, we've been taking notes for a couple weeks now. So I saw Jen's notes. I want to know what this is. Okay. So I'm a flutist and I understand that not everyone will be like me and get a sound in their first lesson and be able to play everything. Fine. Okay. I have, you know, half a dozen flutes between my two programs that it's the, you know, the second week of November and we don't have a sound yet. Um, We just, it's just not happening. We pick up the instrument every week and no matter how hard we try, we're just not finding our air. Fine. So I have an exclusive like instrument petting zoo for my flutes every November. They walk in and they don't know it's coming, but like I have a trombone and a trumpet oh. and a clarinet set up. 
and I, you know, have a handful of mouthpieces that are all clean and sanitized. And I'm like, let's just give this a try. And since they've been using so much wind (laughs) for two or three months, they pick up a trombone and they sound amazing. So in the last week, I've had three flutists switch to trombone. And I have no regrets. It's going to be great. We're going to have so much fun. Yeah, it's just the the people that pick up flute and don't have the fine motor skills to, you know, do the fingers and hold it up and keep it against their lip. It could get better. We could. I, and I've had students that insist that flute is the, the love of their life and they're going to stick with it. And somewhere during the end of the second year, they find a sound and they can play five or six notes. But like most of us are much, much happier if we can find an instrument that has you know, three buttons <laughs> or has a slide or, you know, how, how they always say like, oh, the trumpet only has three buttons. You know, like they say that. The thing about about switching them to baritone or euphon- euphonium is that either I have to provide one or they're, they're a different price than the flute. Oh. So like if we, you know, like around here, our rental contracts, flutes and trombones are the same price and most stores will let you exchange exchange <laughs> your flute for the trombone. Mm. So usually they call us the students and even exchange. They just have to pay for a new book. The the baritones and euphoniums cost a little more. And I don't I don't put a family in that position. Like I don't put a baritone in their in their hand unless I know I have one I can provide for them. And that's a tougher sell because it's a you know it's a it's a big instrument um to to bring back and forth. But anyway, so that's that's what I've been up to with my flute. So the ones that stick it out, now here's the trick. The ones that decide to stick it out on flute immediately, like that day, get an attaboy email to their parents. Sophia is making such great progress on the flute. I'm so happy to see that she's able to do her fingers on the three notes we've been talking about. Way to go, Sophia. That's it. That's all I say in the email. And I, I usually get like some really just good vibes from their parents after that. So, you know, the ones I feel like are going to be really comfortable where they are get that the ones that are switching I, i'll send a note that says hey i noticed so and so is struggling so uh we decided to take a look at the trombone today i hope that's okay with you he had a great time she loved it you know like something yeah. you know i'll send i'll send something like that home as a follow-up like before they get home, off the bus and they're like i want to play trombone blah, 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 blah. It's pretty successful. I balance the band. All flutes are happy. And I don't have a dozen flutes in my ensemble anymore. So I think I'm down to six. And now I have five or six trombones. I always wondered why I got so many darn trombones from you, Jen, in eighth grade. Now I know. know (laughs) Oh, yeah. I have to ask them, how (laughs) many of you you actually started on the trombone? None of them are going to raise their hands. Right. (laughs) And no, not one of them. And that's, see that, but that's the thing. Like, and, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten, you know, tuba players from my my flute section yeah. i've got tr- gotten trumpet players from my flute section as a flutist myself i know i know where you're gonna land you're gonna be in may of your senior year <laughs> cj waiting to get off the f- wait list on somebody's flute studio like and, and and you can have a lot of fun with the trombone so um so that yeah that's my little like dirty little secret for what we're up to in I november like um yeah. So CJ, what what's like up next? What's going on in like November and December? Because then you've got like a um, like a big month break, right? We've got a break in December, but leading up to that is like absolute chaos because that's they pile all the concerts at the end of the semester. We also have juries, all our finals and stuff. We've got the big keyboard exam to see if we have the proficiency and stuff. So the end of the semester, there's there's lots going on. I lost to talk about too. What are you uh, What are you nervous about? Oh, all of it. Um, <laughs> right now, funny that you mention it. I, I had forgotten that you were a flout assistant. Um, but I am currently in Woodwinds 1. So oh. first half of the semester is clarinet. This half of the semester is flute. My flute's name is Nigel. Okay. And Nigel and I are not friends. Oh. <laughs> so, so we are going to... I have my, my final in flute towards the end of the semester as well. So that's probably... Probably one of the the bigger mountains that I'm going to be um, tackling okay. towards the semester, but the rest of it is just you know concerts, new rep, that sort of thing. Okay, let me know if you need like a, a lesson. I've got a lot of quick fixes. Apparently, I might have to take you. <laughs> I up won't. On that. I won't switch you to trombone. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's you're next not, semester. That's you're not next allowed semester. to show up to your flute jury with a trombone. That's that's frowned upon. Uh, oh, I grabbed the wrong instrument. Oh. <laughs> CJ, if it makes you feel oh. any better, my absolute worst jury ever was for bassoon. Like, like really far and away the worst 
jury I ever had was Bassoon. <laughs> I think the professor just passed me because she felt bad for me, but Aww. it was awful. It was awful. So kudos to you. Even if you're having trouble on flute, know that like you've got Bassoon. So like everybody should just be bowing down to you. I know. That's a thing. My bassoon professor says all the saxophone majors that have to play bassoon, they always just, they make up the fingerings and they just use their mouth and their embouchure and their voicings to make up everything else. <laughs> and he's like, I can always tell the saxophonists from the bassoon players. And the funny so thing funny. is he plays sax too. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. So that was awesome. I don't know how we touched on so many subjects in just 45 minutes, but hey, we did it. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Jen, it's always fun to catch up with you. And CJ, what a treat. It's so nice to hear that you're doing well and that you've got yourself involved in so many great things. You Did you enjoy this? Yeah, it was pretty great. Thanks so much for having me back on here. It was great to catch up with you guys. Well, yeah. I, I hope you liked it enough to do it again. I'm down. I'm always around. <laughs> that oh, that's good. so good. Yeah, nice. it is. it is a true honor to be in the presence of of a bassoonist. Oh, please. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. flattered. <laughs> uh, this, was, this was really fun. If you want to get in touch with CJ, you have any questions for her, you can email her at carly.margolis6 at gmail.com or find her music Instagram at cjmargolismusic. To our listeners out there, if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe to our podcast on your very favorite podcast app. Give us a rating and a review that helps other people find us. You can do all that on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We put some really fun and silly things out there sometimes. Yeah. And don't forget to tell other people about us. Word of mouth is great. Tell your, uh, you know, uh, instrumental teaching friends about us. I'm sure we've all got something to learn. So, And if you really liked us, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You can find a link in our show notes and you can also go to anchor.fm slash take a cue. That's all one word. Also, finally, if you have ideas for our episodes, we have a whole list, but we'd love to hear your thoughts. So get in touch with us. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from your, hear your ideas and your feedback and uh, your, your war stories as well. So I think that's a pretty freestyle Friday. Thank you all so much for being with us again. And uh, until next time, go out and make great music with your students. Yeah.